All right. I think I'm recording. If not, y'all can give credence to the fact that I tried. Um, so, welcome this morning. I'm glad you're here. Uh, kind of in an interesting sort of way. It's like the grown-ups have left town and left the teenagers in charge, right? <laughs> so, Mike and uh, Andy are both out of town, and so I'm teaching this morning. Um, so, I like to start class with um, a story. And I told y'all about Grandma Daisy last time, so this time I'm going to tell you about our granddaughter, Lucy. So, Mike and I were keeping Lucy and Emery in uh, February while their parents went on a trip. And Lucy's five. And uh, some of you have probably had those really sharp-minded five-year-olds you've hung around. Some are in la-la land, but some are paying attention. So, Lucy's paying attention. And I'm working in my office, and Lucy's watching TV in my office, and she says, hey, Jeej, can I have some uh, Barbie gummy snacks? And I said, sure, go get them out of the pantry. And she said, uh, well, I'm watching TV. Would you go get them for me? And I said, Lucy, I'm not your slave. You can go get it. And she goes, what's a slave? And I said, well, a slave is somebody that does exactly what you tell them to do. And she said, you kind of are. <laughs> Not anymore, sister, I can tell you that. So, Lucy got her own Barbie gummy snacks, and, and I made a little adjusted in my head that perhaps I've given Lucy the wrong impression. So, made a little change there. So, uh, anyway, I don't know. Most of you, I assume, have been here for most of the classes that we've had so far this semester. So raise your hand if you've heard something taught this semester so far that was new to you or you've not thought about it that way. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm impressed if you are like, oh, yeah, I knew all of that before because I'm constantly sitting there going, wait a minute. I'm not sure what I think or how I feel or, or what about that exactly. So... Um, I think all of us, it's not that Andy has been presenting any new passages because we're all folks that love the Bible, right? So we've read the passages, but perhaps they have been given a different uh, slant or viewpoint or interpretation for some of them that we're not quite used to seeing. So I have been tasked today, which uh, actually is a little easier for me is to talk about the theory or the viewpoint, if you will, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. Uh, because in order to be fair in any kind of approach to Scripture, right, you need to look at different viewpoints instead of just hearing one. Truthfully, I was raised with a very much singular thought viewpoint, and I had to go through a big paradigm shift personally to kind of think, wait a minute. I'm not sure that's how I think now anymore. Or is that right or is that different? I would say that any of you who grew up like I did in a fundamental environment um, have probably had some shifting viewpoints. Uh, you're sitting in a class taught by a woman and there's no man standing up here next to me or um, you know, we're not, there's not a posture thing so that I have a covering per se, but that the elders are cool with it, and so here I stand. Or that we can here practice for the next worship service, right? So I know there's been some shifting in all of our minds from one place to another, but I will say that this thought about the Holy Spirit, and when I went to uh, actually look at 
some of the things that have, I've been taught and some of the things in writing as I was reading through it, I thought, that's it. That's what I've heard in the past. So that's really what we're going to talk about today. Um, so here's, here's where we're going to start, okay? We've got three... Well, first of all, we have 30,000 options, but I'm going to boil it down to three, okay? The first... Well, first of all, let me say, everybody agrees that the Holy Spirit was very active in the first century. Everybody I read said what happened on Pentecost, what happened when the apostles laid their hands, what happened to the Gentiles, no one denies that the Holy Spirit was very active, miraculous, bold, everything was just like it was stated in Scripture. So we're starting from that general premise. The first is that the Holy Spirit... For some reason, I feel bad about writing HS for Holy Spirit. I don't know if he would mind, but uh, first century, but now there is no more working either in dwelling or, let me see, there was two phrases that Watchman Nee uses that I really like, the spirit outpoured and the spirit indwelling. So does everyone see the difference between the two? The spirit indwelling, meaning every, every Christian that working of the Holy Spirit within you, and then the outpouring that comes upon you where you saw a lot of that activity in the first century. So the first says there's no working um, in those two capacities of the indwelling and the outpouring. Okay, is everybody with me? The second one is that the yes to the indwelling, but no to the outpouring and the miraculous. When I use the term miraculous, I'm talking about tongues, healings, prophecy, all of those things that were mentioned in Scripture that were a direct outpouring of the Spirit on a group of people or on individuals. Is everybody with me there? And then the third viewpoint is yes to both, to the outpouring and the indwelling. If someone looks at this later, they're going to be thinking... What on earth? But y'all know what I mean, okay? Is everybody with me so far? This is where we're going to start. And um, I will say, a lot of us who grew up, and let me just, if you grew up in a fundamentalist, conservative background, raise your hand. Oh, well, there you go. Okay, so <laughs> we're all, not we're all, but a lot of us are coming from the same direction. So good. When I use that, I don't, y'all have to worry. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Um, and here's another thing to me that's really interesting is we all have the same scripture, but all of the writings that started after the Bible, or the things that were put into the canon, let me say, early writers all up until late writers are a group of uninspired people with their opinion about what happened in the first century. I mean, really, that's kind of what it boils down to. So we're going to talk about that together. And let me just say, um, you know, I've often thought, I grew up thinking grace was for those awful, horrible, terrible sins that I committed. But the older I've gotten, the more I'm also so thankful for grace. It's going to cover all of us with our misunderstandings about the Spirit and His working and whether we got it all just right. And I just want to throw that out there. This is not an exact right or wrong thing, and it's certainly not the thing that's going to send us to separation from God forever. So I feel the need to throw that out there. 
All right, so tell me if any of this sounds familiar. I Googled, have miracles or has the working of the Holy Spirit ceased since uh, after the apostles or something like that? And I had, you know, of course, when you Google things, they come straight up. The first thing that came up was churchofchristarticles.com. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Y'all didn't know there was such a thing, did you? But that was right at the top. So either it's the one with the greatest volume or they paid the most money to come to the top. And I'm thinking it's just where the volume is. So the first uh, sermon that I came across had two arguments to say they'd cease. The first was the quality of miracles today, which I thought was interesting. It said, when you look at people who claim to perform miracles, have you seen anybody calm a storm, walk on water, raise the dead? And it listed the miracles of Jesus, which I thought, well, now there's an interesting approach. And this particular particular preacher, his wife is deaf. And he said, if there were ever a miracle that could be done, I would love for my wife to be able to heal, be able to hear. And I thought, well, there's an interesting perspective as well. The second thing that he said is the Bible clearly says that miracles have ceased. And when I read this description, truthfully, I thought, okay, that's what I've always heard. And this is it. I'm going to give you kind of the argument in succinctly. Miraculous gifts will cease, but faith, hope, and love will abide in 1 Corinthians 13. He uses 1 Corinthians as his main argument that they're going to cease. Miraculous gifts will cease when that which is perfect comes. Faith, hope, and love will continue when that which is perfect comes. That's in 1 Corinthians 10. Hope can't continue when Jesus comes because hope is seen that you see is not hope and Jesus will be seen so that which is perfect can't be Jesus there you go therefore that which is perfect must come after the time that Paul writes but before Jesus comes again therefore miracles must see sometime after Paul writes but before Jesus comes again the unity of the faith is in Ephesians 4 13 it came after John wrote the book of Revelation according to Revelation 22. Therefore, miraculous gifts ended after John wrote the book of Revelation and the Bible was complete. Does anybody follow Jesus that? Sitting down and saying, could you explain that? <laughs> yeah, Jesus said, could you run that by me one more time? Um, the purpose of the miracles was to confirm the word of God because they did not have a Bible like you and I have. So God gave witness to them through miracles that what they were saying was true. But once we had the completely revealed Word of God today in the Bible, then it was no longer needed. And there's no need for them today. Does any of that sound vaguely familiar to anybody? Did y'all kind of hear a version of that? I did. I, I, that's a version of what I heard um, growing up. All right. Here is another sermon that came up with another search, and it had a couple of passages that Andy has used, but it gave another viewpoint about those passages. So I want to present those to you as well. Acts 2, 38 and 39, where it says, We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and this promise is to you and to your children and to those that are far off. Okay? I don't know if you, were y'all here when Andy explained about those three groups of people and that sort of thing. According to this... I'm sorry, I yeah. you real quickly, but will you say according to what again? Who is it that you're uh, This is another preacher that I Googled. Uh-huh, Church of Christ preacher. Uh-huh, it's a sermon, yes. 
Yes, it's a sermon. The other was a sermon, and I wrote the guy's names down, but I don't. Okay. Then, yeah, these are sermons that were presented. I'm not, no, I'm reading Acts 2.38 and his explanation of that, which is different than Andy's was a few weeks ago. Thank you for clarifying. Um, he says, some people view this as a gift from which the Holy Spirit literally lives inside of all Christians, or some say it's a gift from the Holy Spirit, meaning salvation. But if you get into the Greek and compare it to Acts 10, according to this fellow, he says the gift of the Holy Spirit there was the miraculous outpouring. The same thing that happened to the Gentiles. Which I was like, uh-oh. But then, he says, but they were promised to a certain group of people. The promises to you, the Jews that were hearing the sermon, and to your children, which he says clearly in Scripture, and he gives other passages say that's only one generation of people and when it said to those that are far off it meant it would be outpoured on the Gentiles which is what happened with Cornelius and his household a few chapters later in the book of Acts. So that's his explanation for Acts 2 38 and 39 and those groups this promise is to you to your children and to those who are far off that's how he kind of hems it up still being a first century phenomenon. Um, well, he didn't get into that, <laughs> so I, I can't answer that. <laughs> I guess it'd be the. <laughs> he he didn't get into that, but he did say. Uh, actually, he did. He says, "As many as our Lord shall call." This particular passage, this particular statement limits the amount of people who would receive the miraculous gift because the word, word translated call here does not refer to the call of the gospel, but instead the call to a certain work or function. Sorry about that. He did explain that. Therefore, miraculous gifts are for Jews, Gentiles, ending in the next generation and would be limited to those whom God chose and would have to use them. Those in the first century. Um, and then his other argument is 1 Corinthians 13, which he's also using as well. Uh, he says, prophecies will fail, tongues will cease, knowledge will vanish away. When does this take place? The miraculous knowledge is limited, the prophecies are limited, but that which is perfect, when it comes, away, comes these miraculous things will vanish away. And he says... It can't be Christ coming again because that which is perfect is a neuter Greek word, neutral. Some say perfect love is what it means, but it can't because it's a feminine noun in the Greek. So therefore, it's when the completed word of God is finished by the same time in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed. Because he said at that point, the ability to be a Jew is eliminated because all of the lineages and all of the ability to trace back and be in the priesthood and all that is completely eliminated. And at that point, that's what it's talking about when all of those things will cease and pass away and the perfect will come because Judaism will be quashed and Christianity will be in its fullness. Okay, I've given you all that information swirling around in your head. Does any of this sound, y'all said it sounds familiar. It sounds familiar to me. Yes. Okay, so I have a question about, because that was the one thing that was different. 
mm-hmm. that gift here is singular, mm-hmm. which means you're going to get the Holy Spirit. That's the gift, is the Holy Spirit. You're going to get the indwelling of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, not gifts of the Holy Spirit, plural, mm-hmm. meaning the things that the Holy Spirit gives you, meaning tongues and prophecies and healings and stuff like that. Okay. So that's another... Uh kind of a it, it's all kind of the same but there are little twists or nuances about it yes okay good I will say that I somehow in my head grew up hearing the Bible because the Holy Spirit directed the people that wrote the Bible they needed what they needed in the first century to validate what was going on but this is the Holy Spirit working in our life today now So then I got to thinking, okay, so let's take that to its logical conclusion. When was the Bible even put together? When was it all put together? Because wouldn't that leave us a really big gap from A.D. 70 until actually the Old Testament, New Testament canon was assembled in 363 A.D. So we got a lot of time there where... You know, I guess they had the letters read. People would go around and read the letters as they were written to different groups and churches. Uh, Do y'all know in 1820, only 12% of the world population could read? So you were pretty much at the mercy of someone reading it to you or kind of oral tradition being handed down. So um, to me, that's where part of limiting this, we're using our you know, 21st century brains and our ability to go buy a Bible and read and understand for ourselves and get information from ourselves. But the reality is over the last, goodness, the last 1812, that's not that long ago, people couldn't even read, certainly did not have access to scripture or the ability to make decisions for themselves. It was handed down. Um, What else about this? Uh, I hate to call it an argument, but this perspective. What else about this perspective do you perhaps agree with or perhaps say, when did I shift? Or tell me, tell, let's just talk about that a little bit. Well, this, this uh, perspective argument, um, which one and two are really close. Uh-huh. The difference is one kind of confines it to, like we heard, that unless you're the Bible. the Bible, you are not. That's right. That's Probably that's that's a little rarer, I think. Mm-hmm. Two is the one that's it's the one that um, the same general arguments are done, but allows for the indwelling, just not the direct. Which goes back to what Carolyn was talking about was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, and that's the reason I differentiated between those because I think these two sermons that I just talked about, I think they're probably more number one. Well, uh, not necessarily, but they could be. Mm-hmm. The also the the argument. What they've done is you take a passage of scripture, which I mean, getting into the Greek and uh-huh. uh, kind of some some elements of that. But I think they're they're also dealing with a passage where Simon, the gentleman who wanted to buy the gift yes. of being able to give the spirit to somebody, that entire I think that's Acts eight. Mm-hmm. That entire thing I think is the hub. That leads people to these other and looking for other answers in specific scripture to where they end up with some of these arguments like they were doing. So 
And you're right, that one of them did go into Simon. That's the hub Yeah. that, that does it all. So I don't, you're probably going to address that or talk about something. Well, now that, that particular one, uh, one of the ones that I read said that uh, Peter and John had to come and lay hands because it had to be done by an apostle. Simon said, I want that. The reason he didn't get it, even though it says he didn't have the right heart, and had the wrong motive, it also said he couldn't do it. He couldn't pass it on because he wasn't an apostle. Yeah, the was, entire recognition mm -hmm. then moves into the element. So mm -hmm. eventually, mm -hmm. when the people have had hands laid on them, when that group dies off, then, then so that's then the end of it. That's right. Although, you know, Peter and John, they didn't say, well, we'd love to, you got a bad heart, and by the way, you couldn't do it anyway because you're not an apostle. I mean, that's not written anywhere it's all uh supposed mm -hmm. inferred yes do you have a comment yeah um my wife and i and my oldest daughter we kind of go round and round <laughs> there's a major difference between what we read in, in the first century to what we see happening in our world today mm -hmm. i mean and i can remember in our 20s a good buddy lost his wife she was in her 40s and he was told well, if you had enough faith, wow. then, you know, your wife would, would not lose her life. And, of course, Anne passed away. But um, this is um, uh, Acts 14. This is verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord to confirm the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. I wish that were still the case today to where we could dispense with our false prophets by saying, show me your miraculous signs and wonders, but I'm not seeing it. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm a doubting Thomas to a degree, but I mean, if and I think tongues were languages, I don't think it was gibberish. I'm sorry. That's right. it was yeah, no, don't language. be sorry. And maybe it was a gift of, of hearing, not of tongues. I don't know. Mm -hmm. but. I'm just not seeing what other people say they are seeing, and I would love to. Yes. I'm not denying, I mean, yes, it happened. But, you know, if I were a, a minister, it'd be nice if I could confirm that my message was from God by doing miraculous signs and wonders. But, like I said, so help me out, guys. <laughs> hey, let me just say, um, I, I wrote that exact same question here for me. In fact, let me, um, I think that's really where we're all kind of wanting to land as far as that's the conversation. I think that we're all not quite sure what to do with exactly. Um, and the only other thing I was just going to tell you, let me tell you something from a historical perspective, and then let's, let's talk about that because that's what I actually wrote right here on my paper. Um, one more thing, and Andy had given me this particular article to talk about, and that is... Uh, which I thought, oh, he's such an egghead. He gave me this thing and I was reading it going, okay, concentrate, you can get it. Um, but it was written by Benjamin B. Warfield, who was a professor of theology at Princeton. He wrote a book called Counterfeit Miracles in 1918, interestingly, and this was an article that came from that book. So it was written quite some time ago, but this guy's a theologian, but he's not part of, the reason I think his perspective is interesting because he's not part of the um, kind of 
uh, fundamental conservative movement as much as he's still, though, he's a Protestant, but he's still not quite in that little corner. So I thought, well, you know, it's good to kind of get another completely separate perspective. He basically says uh, there were two types of gifts. One were the distinct, distinctively gracious and the distinctly miraculous. He spends a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and he says, never forget that Paul says the greatest, most excellent gifts are faith, hope, and love. So don't be distracted by these others and forget that those are, according to Paul, the most excellent gifts. He too believes that gifts existed to confirm revelation from God, just like in the Old Testament. When Andy talked about the Old Testament and those kind of occurrences that would pop up, they were to help a particular person confirm their message, right? So he's saying that same principle exists in the first century, and that's what this was to do. But he doesn't say the revelation is the Bible. He says the revelation is Jesus. It's to confirm that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And that was the reason at the beginning in the early days of the church that they had these abilities. But he believes that once the word of Scripture and the establishment and life of the church were in place, there was no longer a need to verify the message of Jesus. He said it's the mystic's dream for God to reveal himself individually, but through scripture. That's not God's typical way, but that he does entire groups or races at one time. And I thought that's an interesting perspective too. And I thought, what about Balaam's donkey? And then I thought, well, no, I don't need to get off on that. But he's just, you know, he feels like things were done for big groups of people, not necessarily for individuals. He did quote John Calvin to say, it is unreasonable to ask miracles or to find them where there is no new gospel or revelation. So it's that same principle of when there's a new revelation or message to be heard, these signs and wonders confirm it to be true. Um, the other thing he says is the early church writers in the second, third, and fourth centuries never talked about receiving a miracle or miraculous um, outpouring. They just only referred to hearsay. Someone told me they saw it or told me they experienced it, but the person who was writing was never the one who experienced it, which I thought was interesting. He's a theologian who spent a lot of time in those early church writings. So. That's just to give you another outside of our usual kind of corner of the universe group of writers and scholars, but that was his argument as to why that they have ceased. Sure. I've heard the point made that there seems to be much more evidence of, of uh, demonstrative gifts of the Spirit when evangelism is taking place among people groups that have not been exposed to the gospel okay. over the centuries. So that would fit, I think, with the uh -huh. that, that you were just talking about, that the confirmation of Jesus in those uh, in those arenas would, would be uh, supported. So that's kind of a, a hybrid, right? Instead of it saying it's uh, completely ceased, it would only be to affirm to that group of people, perhaps if you went into a whole new part of the world, let's say, uh, 
with an evangelistic effort or whatever and something might happen. And what kind of, give me an example, like what kind of miracles are happening in this uh, or what's that one? I, I believe as much as raising people from the dead. Okay. okay. There's a book uh, that's actually been written by uh, a young man whose parents uh, attended Fog Creek uh, years ago, his name is Jerry Trousdale, a uh, Lipscomb graduate. Um, Jerry's been involved in uh, with a group that is reaching Muslims in uh, Africa, um, and and he has written a book called Miraculous uh, Movement, Movements: How Hundreds of Thousands of Muslims Are Falling in Love with Jesus. Um, and his the book describes the instances in which uh, miracles. Are happening and have happened, uh, which parallels what was going on in the New Testament days, to confirm uh, uh, what some people are experiencing in terms of dreams, uh, visions, uh, where Jesus is appearing to uh, Muslims, to inland, to sheiks, uh, and they're being converted, have been converted, and new churches have been established. Um, it's an interesting book. I recommend that if you have trouble with this idea of miracles today that you get the book. Okay, that's very interesting. So it's kind of like what Carrie is saying is that for that particular uh, point in history or in time to, because it's like a big shift to shift toward the group of people. written word. <clears throat> Stories about Jesus are told from person to person. Okay. And, uh, and they take the conversion very seriously that their responsibility now is to spread good news and they are doing it uh, in various communities where they're actually being persecuted by other Muslims. Okay, so they're actually seeing that, that outpouring. But that, but, that, but that group is not, uh, they're, they're not a group that, that Miraculous gifts is at the center of what they do. No. Evangelism yeah. is at the center of what they do. Yeah. And they have these circumstances and these occasions when they see this. I think that was my question, which goes back to Bobby. Is um, Do you have something about that? I mean, do you know about that too? Yeah. <laughs> um, my, my daughter and her husband are in North Africa. And they have gone to a, a workshop with that. She gave me that book a few years ago. But there's a, a, a couple from their congregation in Muskogee, Oklahoma, that have been working with refugees in Athens, coming through Syria. Okay. And then my son-in-law and daughter are living in a place now since last summer where that is their intent. They're learning Arabic to work with Muslims because over and over and over again, when my son-in-law first went to visit there, he met Muslims and heard their stories. Usually, God's word or Jesus came to them in a dream because Muslims are very much, they, they believe in dreams. They think there's significance to dreams. Okay. And they're looking to please Allah. And so when something comes to them in a dream and um, it, it has happened, I mean, he's been able to tell stories of people he's talked to. Okay. He's excited about the next time they come and he's been reaching with people. He said, one of the guys that he works with was 
going to meet somebody in a coffee shop and the guy walked in and said, I know you, you were in my second dream. So tell me what you believe. What we're here to do. And what y'all are saying is this group of people, that's not their MO going in there is, have you had a dream lately and saw me? I mean, they, it's, it's like it's come around I don't want to call it the back door. That'd be blasphemy, but just the spirit working in his way. So back to your question, I wrote down on here two things. One is, if the spirit confirmed the message of Jesus, why do we not still need to confirm it for this generation is my first question. And then the second is, I am a Jesus lover. Why hasn't the spirit outpoured on me like this to where I've been totally overtaken and have experienced a miracle? Now, I think I very have strongly experienced this. And maybe some of it is a gray zone between this and this. Maybe I'm calling this, sometimes that was that. I don't know. But I think that might be where um, a lot of us are getting kind of stumped or kind of hung up. Catherine? the grace and long suffering and um, as you were saying the world today is so different than the world then um, but is it I guess is my question and then I, I guess I feel like um, I'm trying to be guarded how I speak and I shouldn't I should just speak, no, but, just say it um, I feel like if it's in line with the word of God if it's in line with the Bible mm-hmm. and if it's to edify the body then if my hairdresser you know, is prompted by the Holy Spirit to whack somebody's face and they're healed and she didn't know they were broken. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Or speaking in tongues. Yeah. I I think um, it's, it's uh, naive of me and a little pompous maybe to think that I could explain everything in the mind of God, but I can uh, also be shrewd as a serpent and innocent as doves, that's how you Mm -hmm. call it. In, in aligning things with this yes, um, and with truth and because this is where I, I feel like this is easy for me uh-huh. in the heritage we have whereas spirit life is easier for some mm-hmm. and that's my friend who's a hairdresser she grew up in a spirit filled yes. environment and now she's gaining in this um, anyway so my, my point is I, I guess um, to me it's equally miraculous to see the way that people have just showered um, Jesus on me um, and I think that's probably what I'm more used to seeing. Yes. And, and I appreciate you kind of re- remembering for us to frame this. At the beginning, I even said, you know what? Grace is all over this. This yeah. is not a cut and dried. We're in, we're out. We get it, we don't. And for me, I keep thinking, I, I have to tell you, for me, experiencing freedom prayer was a whole new working of the Spirit, which to me feels like indwelling, perhaps there's some outpouring. I don't know. But these two descriptions here, keep in mind, this outpouring is used to describe that coming upon you like on Pentecost where it, it overtook them. And do y'all, do y'all see a differentiation there between uh, what's in and what comes on from the outside? Okay, that's why I'm making that because I think there's a thousand gray zones there. Okay, what else? Okay, yep, John. Saying, don't, don't say this. But oh, I'm say it. Go ahead. I should always listen to her. I'll probably regret it. <laughs> <laughs> I have raised someone from the dead. Wow, John. I was a paramedic. 
the person had stopped, heartbeat had stopped, there was no gag reflex, the pupils were dilated, non-responsive to light, that's dead. Mm -hmm. And using CPR, I brought that person back to life. Is that a miracle? It was to me. <laughs> now, Jesus raised somebody from the dead too. He raised a boy that was already going to the grave. He raised Lazarus who was dead four days and already stank. Well, I handled bodies that already stank and they were not raised from the dead. So I, we need to, once again, like, like we had a couple sermons ago, like, what's a miracle? Yeah. What's a miracle? You know, anybody see somebody walk on water? <coughs> there are certain things that are beyond nature that we call a miracle. Raising someone from the dead that's already rotten, um, walking on water. These things are, are non-natural things. Then there are miracles that are, that are extension of the natural thing, like doing CPR. That's natural. Okay. So if you, if you be tough, say, that's a miracle. And Josh talked about that last week in his sermon about yeah. the definition of miracle and, you know, how so many things are a miracle. Um, I think for our purposes, this, and you, and you make a great point, in fact, the, the, the guy from Princeton, uh, a lot of the writings talked about raising from the dead in the early, you know, first centuries back then, knowing that we did, they didn't have the medical, you know, things that we did. So somebody they thought was dead might not have been dead and all of that kind of stuff. Um, what else? I saw a hand over here. Ryan? Uh, I have a question. Do you think we miss misunderstand maybe the um, how widespread the miraculous uh, events were in the New Testament and, can, and the reason I ask that is because comparing it to today uh, I mean one of the you know greatest reasons growing up other than the teaching that I grew up in that I didn't believe in you know the a creative miracle is because I never saw one mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. but it is that Fair? I mean, do we think, do we know anything about history about how, I'm looking for a word, like, did it permeate every church? Well, that is a great setup because Mike's, yeah. Mike's job next week yeah. is to talk about the, the uh, support or the argument that these gifts began in the first century in that format and how they have gone all the way through time. Because it's almost like we think it all went underground somewhere and then it all came back up, you know, in the last hundred years and that it was gone. But there's a lot of writings, historical writings and different sorts of things that it was there all along. The interesting thing was all of these writers that I read, though, completely confirmed that the early church in most every, I think one of the guys said, in every congregation they experienced this type of Holy Spirit working. And I also wonder, were they disappointed when it all phased out? I mean, you know, if they didn't have a Bible or didn't, you know, the generation, you wonder if everybody was like, all the grandmas got to see all of this stuff, but none of their grandchildren did. You know, if, if there was a shifting in just, I, I mean, I don't know, but. The only other thing I wanted to say was it, it doesn't teach anybody anything, but John Beth and I have been kind of studying this quite, quite in depth lately and, and spending a lot of time in, in places where that think a lot differently than we do. But one of the things we listened to, uh, one of the fellows said, he said, a, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of someone with an argument. So and if you've experienced a miracle, there's no They're not going to talk you out of it. You're not going to tell me that I didn't experience yeah. the miracle. 
Okay, so say that again. A man with an experience. A man with an experience. Never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Okay. What that says to me is our theology against or the cessation theology uh-huh. is not solid enough to ever convince someone who's seen a miracle right. to not believe in a miracle. That is a great point, which goes back to what y'all are talking about with the, the thing in Africa with the Muslims and the dreams and all that. You can say what you want, but they're yeah. saying, okay, all I know is this is what's happening and what we see happening. Yes, Sonia? Um, and I think the other um, maybe side of that coin is, you know, there's a reason why the Spirit, why the Lord does what He does. And we don't know what that is, um, and we don't, we can't even pretend to figure it out. Yes. Um, and He probably won't want me to tell this, but... <laughs> um, We're just doing all kinds of <laughs> truth-saying this morning, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the spirit's doing something in here. I don't know. Our oldest daughter is our has been our closet charismatic forever, and so um, she has five children. Who are the oldest one, and it's been probably I, I can't remember at least two years ago, maybe longer. But he actually broke his arm while playing outside. Martha said that the bone was physically sticking up to where you, you couldn't see the bone, but you could see how it was completely out of place. Mm-hmm. Screaming, crying, comes in, but he's saying, no, no, I'm not going to the hospital. God will fix it. God will fix it. God will fix it. And of course, they're holding him. They're holding him tight. And sure enough, they didn't go to the hospital, and his arm was fixed. Now, why did God do that? Um can we believe that? <laughs> you know, we have trouble believing that, but at the same time, I mean, I know my daughter and I know my my grandson, mm-hmm. and, and you know, for us, it that was a flat-out miracle. Why did God do that? Maybe because who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. Reese is going to be something here someday, and God needed that faith boost in him. I don't know. I don't even. It goes back to what they said, though. You, our theology isn't going to talk them out of their experience. That's for sure. And sometimes experience needs to talk us out of our theology. That's the issue. Uh-huh. Yeah. It is for me. And so, it um, is for me. You know, there's some element that I could probably argue that there's no way that this thing here could give me access to all kinds of information mm-hmm. in the world or talk to somebody else across the world right now. Mm-hmm. I can put it down on the table and give you every argument from science or what possibly do that. Possibly mm-hmm. I could possibly do that. And That's right. And you come up where Oh yeah, completely. But you know what? Whatever, whatever we talk about, though, I go back to the passage where Jesus said, "What good father would give his kid a scorpion instead of an egg? And how much more will he give the Spirit to those who ask him?" And if we believe in the words of Jesus, and that one is red, so that gets to count. Um, then I think if I just keep going back to that general principle, then, and, and truthfully, I love hearing Andy's perspective. It's different than what I know, and I need, to, I need to hear it, and I need to pray over it, and I need to think about it. But this morning, he wanted me to kind of remind us all, first of all, from whence a lot of us came, and to kind of consider the shift. Is it something that we need to shift and don't need to shift? Um, So, there you go.
Go in peace. It's time to pick up your kids. Thank you for your comments.